This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, here we are a day later, and you know, you know how sometimes... You go out and you go, maybe you go shopping and you buy a shirt or a pair of pants or a sweatshirt. I don't know. I don't do that as much anymore, but I'm trying to, I'm reaching for a metaphor. You go out and you buy something at the store and you like the way it fits, right? And then you go home, what happens? You wash it, you wear it again, you're like, ah, I don't know. You tell me a day later, the Damian Lillard trade, how does it fit you now? What do you make of what Lillard is singing about and talking about as he departs for Milwaukee? Were you surprised at the national narrative as it pertains to the trade of Damian Lillard? You're a Blazer fan or you grew up here or live here in the Pacific Northwest or maybe you listen to this show from outside the footprint. You understand it's a different market. It's a different place. I always try to explain to outsiders, hey, people in... This part of the country, they are, they are connected on a deeper level to their sports teams. Like, you you know, you can say Boston fans or SEC football fans are unhinged. You can say Philadelphia sports fans are different. Maybe they're mean. I don't know. Passionate. But I can just tell you, like, I worked in six different markets, six different newspapers, a variety of media entities, different parts of the country, been in the Midwest, covered the Big Ten, covered Notre Dame, lived in Tallahassee. Uh, I've been to SEC football games. I've seen the culture of SEC football. I have seen, the, obviously, the Pac-12, the NFL, Major League Baseball. I've covered those things. And I'm here to tell you that you are different. You are different. You are the, the kind of fan base that shows up 3,000 strong to greet Rudy Fernandez at the airport when uh, when he is uh, Rudy the Latin lover is coming in to play for the Trailblazers. Kids blew off school and went to the airport. You are the kind of person that goes down to Pioneer Courthouse Square when Greg Oden is drafted number one and then the Blazers are trying to introduce him to the city and they say, well, what's the biggest place that we could, we could have there where we can introduce Oden to the city? Let's take him to Pioneer Courthouse Square, the heart of the city, and introduce him. And five or 6,000 people show up to greet Greg Oden. It's a different fan base. And you suffer together too, right? Like, let's be real about it. As a Blazer fan, you have suffered. And I think that's part of what bonds and binds Blazer fans together. But I, I, I will stand by the fact that I, I tell outsiders, I tell my friends who I grew up with in the Bay Area, and I tell people that I've worked with at different parts of the country, They'll say, what is the Pacific Northwest sports fan like? Or what is the Portland sports fan like? Or what's the Duck fan like? Or the Beaver fan like? And I go, you know what? It's the kind of person that when their football team 
didn't make a bowl game for like three decades, they stuck with the team, kept showing up. It's the kind of person that when the Blazers are playing really well, everybody in the state gets on board with it and is proud of it. When things are going bad, everybody kind of laments it. It's the kind of place where when teams or individuals succeed, you continue to root for them long after they've left the Portland market. Marcus Mariota goes off to the NFL, you know, the whole state of Oregon. Like, the Beaver fans, you know, Oregon State took out a full-page ad in the newspaper, you know, congratulating Marcus Mariota on the Heisman Trophy. And then all of a sudden you've got, like, TV stations in Eugene and Portland that all are putting the Tennessee Titans football games on, or 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 the stations, the local stations are getting called and, and hammered by viewers who are saying, why are you showing the Titans game, damn it? Because they're in Tennessee. Well, they didn't understand you as a sports fan. Same goes for Justin Herbert, who's now getting it done in San Diego or L.A., Chargers. Uh, and, and you you know, you've got a bunch of people wearing Chargers jerseys. You're just different that way. That, you know, I can tell you, like, the, the Bay Area sports fan doesn't live it and love it like you. And I covered Indiana basketball, and that fan's rabid. Bobby Knight was the coach when I was there. That fan base was super rabid and delusional. But it was largely a bandwagon fan base that had grown up with it and loved it because it was a feel-good thing in the winter when the weather, when the weather turned bad and it was ugly outside. All the Hoosiers went indoors to watch basketball and watch Bobby Knight's teams play, and they were really good, and, you know, it was kind of what they did together. But, you know, I, I still think that the Portland sports fan and the Pacific Northwest sports fan, I'll extend it to Seahawks fans, Mariners fans, Husky fans, Cougar fans, Duck fans, Beaver fans, Winterhawks fans, all, you know, I, even the Timbers and the Thorns. Like, you know, it's not accidental that the greatest – success story in women's professional sports as a as a team sport happened when the Portland Thorns started drawing 20,000 fans per game and it's not accidental that the Timbers who might only have about 22,000 fans you know get, like a magnet got them all inside the same building for a long stretch and that franchise had tremendous success and became a place to see and a place to be well Let me ask you this now. It's been 24 hours. You're different as a sports fan in a sports market. Outsiders are saying this trade of Damian Lillard, you know, they talk about it in large sweeping terms, like Dan Dan Lebetard in in Miami talking about the trade of Lillard as though it is some kind of statement that the league is making making, uh, against uh, star players that, you know, they're taking a stand on the Damian Lillard front. And, uh, you know, and, and that he is the final straw, and he's, this is the owners pushing back, you know. And, and, I, and I cringe a little bit because I go, you know what? They don't really get you. They don't understand you. Um, you know, Dan Lebetard's show yesterday, I thought, gave us an idea or an, an example of how the national media just kind of misses the point when it comes to you and your relationship with your teams and your star players. After what is it? A decade or 12 years of total player empowerment? Damian Lillard is the crossroads on, no, we will not respect your power, your leverage, and your relationship with our city. You want to leave? Okay. You don't get to choose where it is you go. We're gonna, you want to go to Miami? We're going to send you to something close to the opposite of Miami. You're going to go to Milwaukee. 
and you're going to either take your money and like it or now request a trade like you've been threatening so that Milwaukee has to trade him to Miami because he's actually willing to lose money and he's not going to show up for work as the start of his business relationship with Milwaukee. Damian Lillard as the crossroads, because we've been saying for years, why do you always have to do what Harden wants? He's got a contract. He doesn't have a no-trade clause. Well, you got to call the player's bluff, and Lillard wasn't able to get dirty in public. On behalf of wanting to get here, he didn't want to ruin the fan base loyalty that he has with Portland by making a mess. And so now he gets the power taken away from him and sent to a place he doesn't want to go. To me, that's the most interesting part of all of this, that the place that it stops on player empowerment is Damian Lillard. You're too old and you have too much money late in your contract. You can't have this power. Not necessarily. Like maybe there's some truth to the fact that he's older and he's got too much money left in his contract. But I just felt like with Lillard, there were two things going on. One was the relationship that Damian Lillard had with Blazer fans, which was very unusual by NBA standards. Normally, you have NBA fans and you have NBA star players in their markets, and these two things don't have a lot in common. It's not relatable to look over at somebody making five hundred to six hundred thousand dollars per game while you're you know going and and saying gosh i can't even afford to take a family of four to the game it's not relatable at all to see somebody making 40 or 50 million dollars a year in salary you can try to relate but in most nba cities you can't but what i think was very different about portland was that damian lillard had a frustration with blazers management that mirrored the frustration that Blazer fans had with management and ownership. You were in it together in that way. Very relatable. I talked to people. I just crowdsourced last night. I was out. We started talking to people, asking them what they thought. And everybody was like, well, it's sad that he's gone, but I'll root for him. You're not going to find that in the wake of a James Harden. You're not going to find that in Oklahoma City as Kevin Durant goes on to play for the Golden State Warriors. You're not going to find that across the league as you see star players asking for a trade. You're not going to see the fan base going, oh, I hope that guy goes out and wins. I really am in it with him. Because I think romantically and down deep in your heart, you sort of see the Damian Lillard arc as an extension of yourself. Like if you could for a moment trade your fandom of the Trailblazers to be a fan of the Milwaukee Bucks, if you could do what an NBA player does and just switch jerseys, I bet you'd do it today. I bet you would. 503-417-7575 is the number. A day later, how is this trade fitting you? Steven, a day later, how do you see it differently? Yeah, I mean, for me, again, I, I, I'm kind of the same as I was yesterday. Like, I'm excited for Dame to go get his real chance to win a championship because we all felt that way. We all felt that we wanted Dame to win a championship in Portland as a Trailblazer fan, but... We knew that just wasn't going to happen, especially now with where the team is. So I am still happy for Dame that he got out and he's going to go to the Bucks, who you know are the new betting favorites to win the championship. But for me, John, now I I'm more looking forward now. Like I'm not turning the page and saying you know what I'm never going to think about Dame again. But I kind of am thinking like I'm excited to watch what this team is now. I'm excited to go to the new era with Shaden Sharp, Scoot Henderson. You talked about it yesterday. Can Chauncey Billups coach? We're going to find this out. We're going to find out some things about this franchise that we just haven't known because Dame has been here. Dame has put a big Band-Aid on everything. Dame has put the you know the weight of the franchise on his shoulders, 
and he's covered up so many mistakes, so many bad things that have happened in this franchise. He's been the big Band-Aid. He's gone now. So we're going to see a lot of other things, and hopefully you know, something good that happens out of it, and Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson can be the guy that really turned the franchise around after Dame. So I'm, I'm more excited than anything. I'm glad it's over, and I'm glad Dame's going to get a real chance to win a championship. Now, Damian Lillard has issued a song. He released a song called Farewell that uh, has got some lyrics in it that are interesting. Again, I would rather just have a conversation with him, but here's the song. Here's at least a chunk of it. My arrow pointed at who assumed it was greater. Amazing what I get in return for this labor. I continue leaving trails, but won't be for the blazers. To the fans, man, I love you. It's unconditional. Reasons for me leaving the city's nothing typical. So it's imperative not to believe the narrative. Just know that what I left is better than what I inherited. I leave at peace because I know in the end that this is business. Hope you remember all the things you got to sit and witness. In the future, man, I hope we greet with hugs and kisses. But you should know that they the ones who chose another mission. Basically, puts it, puts it back on the Blazers, saying they're the ones that chose, uh, uh, you know, a different path and here. Not, and not to believe the narrative, whatever that is, John. Don't he says, don't believe the narrative. Don't, yeah, but here's the. Here, I got I got a couple things I I I did see in there that kind of jumped out at me. He says I, I basically he says I left it better than I found it, right? It, it, you know, he has that line in there about, you know, it's better than what I inherited, what I'm leaving behind. Is it? Is it better than what he inherited? Like, I, I think if we look at this, yeah, you know, we look at coaches and we say, is the franchise better off than it was before the coach came? And you argue and you go, okay, yeah, they had some success and he's elevated the program. Like Mario Cristobal left the Ducks better than he found them, right? He handed them off to Dan Lanning. He inherited him from Willie Taggart. He left them better than he found him. Mark Helfrich, he inherited from Chip Kelly, but he left it a four and eight team. It didn't leave it better than he found it, although he made it to a uh, you know a national championship game in the middle there. Did Damian Lillard leave the Blazers better than what he inherited? That is a good question. Um, I don't think I think I think about this. I yes, I would say yeah because he did bring attention. I'm trying to think back when Dame was drafted. I mean, they still had LaMarcus Aldridge. It was still kind of his team. They were getting over the Brandon Roy, Greg Oden era. Um, so it was still on the downfall, and Dame kind of elevated it. I would say, yeah, I would say he did. He made it in a better spot. And I think it's mostly just because it's been up in the air of who the owners who the owner is, uh, you know, the head coaching, New Shea, all this kind of drama. But Dame just kind of put a Band-Aid over everything, and he really made it so the Blazers acted like they were a good franchise that made the playoffs all the time. Like, they were known to be a playoff fixture, even with all the drama, all the problems that were off the court. So, yeah, I would say he did. I'd say he'd leave, he left it better than when he got here. Brian is in Milwaukee. Brian, how's the trade fit you today? Hey, it's great to talk to you and Stephen. Vaughn, uh, how you doing? But, yeah, I'm proud of Cronin to hang in there for as long as he did and get the best that they could get, I guess. I don't know, but I think it sounds like that. Yeah. And, and I, I... Um, God, I love Dane. I'll root for Dane. If it was Dame against the Blazers, I'll root for the Blazers. But, yeah, I don't know. We're probably three years away from being significant. Yeah, and I think when you look at what they've got, the window, I guess the timeline, 
the arc, the trajectory, the ages of the players now are reset again to younger players. And that's why Drew Holiday, you know, we all kind of look at him and we go, okay, he's got to be traded. He doesn't fit. Uh, Dre in Portland. Dre, what do you, how's it fitting you today? Jay, quick disclaimer, not a Blazer fan, but I will say it was time. It was time to let Dame go. I think Dame realized that. And as a basketball fan, I'm excited to see Dame against the rest of the teams in the NBA, and, and hopefully he does go out with a championship. I'm glad that he's leaving with his health, and his game is still, you know, it's still it's still Dame time. So, you know, from, from a basketball fan standpoint, I'm excited for him. Yeah, he got out alive, too. Like, you know what I mean? I look at a lot of Blazer players, and I go, yeah, they, they didn't get out with their best years. He still has an opportunity with a couple of years here. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that the Milwaukee Bucks did not consult Giannis before making this trade. Do you believe that, Stephen? Yes, I do. Um, And the reason I think that is is because we talked about the Blazers franchise and how you know untrustworthy everybody is. I think the Bucks have a different type of management, and their general manager has free say of what goes on. Sometimes I think Joe Cronin. He has to do exactly what Burt Cole and Jody Allen say. I think the Bucks. Sure. I think the Bucks let their people do their thing, and their general manager said, "You know what? This is what's best for myself to keep my job. This is what's best for the franchise. This is our best chance to win a championship. This is the best chance to keep Giannis." As a matter of fact, without him, you know, because well, that's the thing that gets me though, because uh, you know, for the Blazers fans, I wanted the Blazers to be that franchise that went out and got a star player, but I, but we all know they just don't have that in them. And that's the thing. I think Milwaukee has that in them. They have the confidence in themselves to say, you go do your job and you go get the best player. And had he said, hey, Giannis, we were looking to trade Drew Holiday, Giannis may have said no because he is not, he's a good dude and he likes Drew Holiday. Like, that is a real thing. So I think he just said, you know what, I'm going to take all the pressure off of it. I'm going to make the decision. If it doesn't work, it's my fault. I'm the one that's going to be fired. But I'm going to put it in my hands and I'm going to make this move. Uh, Jerry's in Clackamas. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? Doing well. Hey. I, uh, first of all, um, I think Cronin uh, did probably as good a job as he could with what was available. And as far as uh, putting Dame in a position to where he can win, and obviously now they're, Vegas says they're the number one lock on uh, NBA championship. So you can't fault uh, him for that. You know, I've been watching the Blazers, paying attention to them for a long time, and you know maybe we need the the ghost of Harry Glickman to come in. And yeah. Help out. Well, you need something. But, you need a new owner, is what you need. You need Phil Knight in charge. Mark and Beaverton, go ahead. Hey, John. So I'm a cynical old man. I mean, I wish Dame the best. I hope he wins multiple. I hope Milwaukee wins the next five NBA championships. Otherwise. I have no positive outlook for the Blazers as long as Jody Allen owns the team. I think she's a cancer. I think her own ambivalence towards selling the team is affecting the team's attitude from the president all the way down to, you know, the ball boys. Uh, I hope they make the playoffs. I think they will. But until they improve their team defense, there's no reason to believe that they're not going to have the same pattern as they've had in years past. I mean, how many teams have we had in the past 10 years that won 50-plus games when we had Batum? And Marcus, Lamarcus, but did they go anywhere in the playoffs? No, because they couldn't play defense. So th- to me, that's the benchmark is if they go anywhere, if they have a better defense, then, yeah, they could actually go somewhere. Other than that, it's going to be the same thing. 
five times in the last 15 years, Fifty, they won 50 games. And you're right. I think sometimes, and I think often, the the messaging and the culture that is set from on high uh, permeates throughout the organization, good and bad. Joe Lorig, assistant coach, University of Oregon football, is coming up next. Hey, the big fake punt against Colorado, what dictated that? I'll ask Lorig, plus... What's it like to go fishing with Dan Lanning? We'll talk to the special teams coach, Joe Lorig, coming up. I thought a big, big play in Oregon's win over Colorado last weekend was that fake punt from their own 17. It's a backbreaker, really. It was one of those emotional plays that uh, you think just breaks a team's will. Joe Lorig, special teams coordinator. He's coached with Dan Lanning at a couple stops. The pride of Western Oregon joining us now. How are you? I'm doing great, John. How are you doing, man? Doing well. I, I got so much to talk to you about. I want to know, for, we got to talk fishing. We got to talk about your your uh, law enforcement degree that you got in college. Of course, we're going to talk football. I don't even know where to start. You, I saw on Twitter yeah. you, bought a, you bought a boat shortly after taking the job at Oregon. Is that right? You, you, got, you got a boat and you're near the McKenzie River. Yeah, I bought a second boat. Uh, I actually keep a boat in Montana all year long. I spend my summers in Montana. I keep a boat and a truck and a trailer over there. I've done that for years. Uh, big, big, avid fly fisherman, and I'm actually overlooking the McKenzie River as we speak right now. I love that. What is it about fly fishing that captures you? Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a getaway. You know, usually you're you're somewhere where your cell phone service isn't any good, and and uh, you know you can kind of be by yourself and be out in nature. And and it's it's also the challenge of it. You know, fly fishing specifically, understanding bug hatches and water levels, and it can kind of be as complex as you want to make it. But uh, I love it, man. It's 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 kind of a family affair. My wife's into it. My kids are into it. So we've really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Do you uh, do you tie your own flies? Do you have a guy? What you know? Where do you get in your flies? No, it's kind of funny. You're the second person to ask me that today. Uh, no, I don't tie my own flies. Just, just based on time. Just if I, if I have, we don't have a lot of free time in this business. When I do get free time, I either want to be with my family or I want to be on the river fishing. So, don't tie my own. But you know, I think in retirement, that's something that I look forward to. But I, I buy them. Um, I try to support the local fly shops where I work. There you go. There you go. All right, you took Dan Lanning fly fishing or fishing. I don't know which. Right away when he got in, and he told me he he told me before you went out. He said, uh, you know, Joe Lorig's trying to get me to go out, and then all all of a sudden I saw him on social media with a fish. What is what is Dan Lanning like as a fisherman? Okay, so the the truth is I've I've taken Dan fishing many times, but the the one time here that that he we, we put it on he put it on social media. He actually caught the fish himself. He's he's a pretty good fisherman. We went fly fishing. We went with a guide because I didn't want to row all day. Um, and he does, he does a good job. He, he caught his own fish, tied tied on his own stuff, did great. The one negative part of him is he likes music on the river, so it couldn't like, be quiet. Outside. Yeah. And he has zero patience, so he would like wonder every two seconds, why am I not catching one? Why am I not catching one? What are we going to do next? What's around the next corner? It's like, oh, it's just relax, man. Like, the, you know, number one, fix your cast, and you might catch more fish or catch a fish, right? So. Uh, but it was it was a good roll river, so I, I said, hey, when you're out here, you're not the boss. I'm going to treat you just like anybody else. So I was able to order order him around a little bit, and no, it was great for him. He's he's really embraced it. He he, uh, you know, just getting out and doing some different things and, and trying to to enjoy what Eugene has to offer. Yeah, I think it's really. Um, I, I think you learn a lot about people when you're out and you have a chance to talk, and it's quiet, and you're doing something like that. Uh, Joe Lorig is our guest. Uh, you got your degree in law enforcement. You got a master's in correctional administration from Western Oregon. What were you planning to do with that? 
Yeah, I did. You know, I, I worked at Walla Walla State Penitentiary when, when I when I went to Walla Walla Junior College, and then I worked at uh, Yamhill County Juvenile Facility and Marion County Juvenile Facility. And uh, really, my intention was was to go into law enforcement. You know, maybe be a marshal or in the FBI or something like that. After, after maybe working in, in local police, and um, after a while, ended up in juvenile probation sex offenders work, mm-hmm. which is which is uh, which is challenging work. I uh, got a call one day from my from my college coach at Western Oregon, told me that, that they had an opportunity for me to come back and be a graduate assistant. And so my plan was to go back, be a graduate assistant, get my master's degree, and then go back into law enforcement. You, you make more money usually if you have that, that master's degree. But once I got into coaching, it just I just realized how fun it was, and, and it, was, it was kind of my calling. And I wanted to have the impact that, that my college coaches had on me and other people, so I just I just never went back. You have so many interesting stops, and you go, you're in the big sky at Idaho State and UTEP, Central Washington, to Arizona State, Utah State, Memphis, Penn State, uh, Oregon, obviously. Is coaching coaching, or do you find at the different levels you have different challenges? Uh, no, every place has its challenges, for sure. You know, co- coaching is, is similar at, at different places. By the way, I listen to your show a lot, and I, li- I listen to your weekly Bruce Barnum stuff. I worked with Bruce Barnum for 10 years, so I've got awesome. some great stories for you someday. I've got to hear he that. Exactly, he's exactly on your show like he is in real life. He doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches. But, no, coaching's coaching. The one thing, the one thing that I would say um, that, that's kind of that, that I didn't realize until I got to Oregon is, is how, how different it is when you coach at home. You know, it, it means a lot to me when I, when I put on the O, when I walk out into Hudson stadium, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. It's, it's different for me because I grew up on this. You know, I know what, I know what it means to play Oregon state. I know what it means when we play Washington. I know the histories, I know the coaching histories and the game histories. And so, um, being blessed enough to be at, at, at what I consider to be my home state school or where my wife's from and, and really where my formative years were spent, as you mentioned earlier at Western Oregon, is, is really, really special. I've, I've been at some awesome places. It's not meant to disparage anywhere else, but being in Oregon is different for me. It feels different. It, it, you know, I don't need you to give away a state secret, but when you're lining up and you're in a punt formation and you've worked on something all week and you end up, you know, with the fake punt call, is that something you're calling, or is that something where situationally you guys have talked all week and said, "Hey, if it's there, we, you know, we're going for it." Yeah, so that you know, we Coach Landing is a really aggressive coach, as, as I'm sure you've probably seen if you follow us. And so him and him and I, I, I put together a special teams game plan on Sunday and Monday. Him and I meet every Monday at six, and his his first questions to me are always, "Hey, how can we steal a possession? How can we change this game? What what are the plays that you have that?" that we can take from our playbook and use to have an impact. I don't want to just sit back and be, be like everybody else. I don't want to just get through it. I want, I want to, I want to really change this thing. And so uh, I present to him the fakes that I think are there or the onside kicks or whatever it may be. Um, and, and then he, you know, he picks picks and chooses the ones that he likes. And I kind of show him on film. This is why I like it coach. This, this is, if we get this look, then I, I think it's there or we get this look or this look, I think it's there. And then, either approves it or doesn't approve it. And the one that we ran Saturday, honestly, is one that we run all the time. Um, uh, prior at, at, at that staff's prior stop at Jackson State, they'd had it the same fake ran on them a couple of times. So we felt pretty confident if we got the look that that uh, that we would call it. You know, now the part that that I that I can't and shouldn't take any credit for is calling it in that situation. You know, that that takes that takes some gumption. <laughs> Coach Landing made that call, and and uh, obviously it was the right one because it worked. But he he definitely is the one that makes that final call. How excited did he sound on the headset when he said, "We're calling it here." Very. He, he he is very aggressive. He's he is he is 
often saying, hey, I want to call this. What do you think? <laughs> I tend to be a little bit more conservative. So usually I'm like, I don't know, Coach. Let, let's hold back on this one. Not that I would have the final say. I don't, I don't mean to sound like that. But on this one, I could tell he didn't even give it up. He said, I want what we call it. And said, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, it's good. Let's run it. So he, uh, I don't think there was any surprise. We got the exact look we practiced all week. And, and uh, our kids executed it really well. And, and it, it, it had a big impact on the game. Well, you know, it's interesting because you've worked with him at a couple of other stops, and I think coaches, sometimes I've talked to coaches who will say, you know, I that trust is important, and knowing someone is important, because when you're having those conversations that are very rapid and they're in between plays, you got to know if he's asking, hey, talk me out of this, right? Or if he's just saying, I'm, I, I want to go for it, what do you think? And I'm sure you picked that up right away. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good point. When, when you know someone, you know, I, I know him on the field, off the field. He's a really close friend. I love him. And, and you're right. I, I can tell by the tone of voice if it's, if it's like, hey, what do you think? Or it's like, we're running this. You kind of better agree with me. <laughs> right? And we've had a bunch of those conversations as he's been here. And, and, you know, one thing about Coach Lanning, and, is, and I'm not just saying this to say it, but he, he's super, super, super smart. I'm sure you've gathered that talking to him. And so um, he's usually a step ahead of, of certainly of me and probably of a lot of people that, that I know. And so – when he when he thinks of something like that, it usually has really good reasoning behind it, really good thought process behind it. And again, for us, that's something that we you know like for instance the play Saturday, that's something we've repped you know, since we got here, like probably hundreds and hundreds of times. So it was no surprise to us when we got the look, and, and no surprise to our players when it, when it was executed and it worked. Joe Lorig, assistant coach, Oregon is our guest. I got to ask you, you know, I'm I'm watching punters and kickers, and especially punters. We're seeing them come out of these kicking academies with rugby backgrounds. And what's going on in the world of special teams when it comes to the kicking game? Yeah, you know the the uh, the Australian people. I'm sure what you're referring to is has, has, has kind of taken over. You know, there's there's a, a a group called Pro Kick Australia. They're, they've really permeated part of college football. Probably happened, you know, ten or fifteen years ago. Um, you know, those kids just grow up. That's what they do. They just grow up kicking the bottom of the ball and kicking the ball a little bit different than than they do here in the U.S. Not that there's not still, you know, really good kickers and punters here, too. And it's really more punters in, out of Australia. But, uh, you know, we have one on our team, Luke Dunn. He's, he's a, a really exciting young guy, along with our current punter, Ross James. So it's just something that, that's kind of taken over. It's a, it's a little bit interesting. I, I'd always kind of wanted to take an Australian guy in my career, but it's it's weird because if you want to, you kind of have to just take some guy you've never met's word for it, right? Like there's there's a they have like these handlers and, and he he tells you, hey, this is the guy you're going to take, and they send you film and stuff, but it's not like like you can go over there, but you know what are you going to get out of a day or two? It's different than like if there's a punter in Oregon, I'm going to have a relationship with him for four or five years. I'm going to see him play numerous times. I'm going to have him at camp. I'm going to be in his home. I mean, you're going to know all the ins and outs. I know his high school coach. Like you're going to know you're going to have seen the kid dozens and dozens of times, and and literally at least. My, my experience is you kind of have to take this guy that you've never met before that's in a different country's word that, hey, this is your guy. <laughs> they just, they, that's how it works. you got you got to take a little bit of a risk. So it's a little bit risky, but um, it certainly paid off for us this time. And, and, and uh, I know lots of people that, that are in the same role that I am at different schools that, that have done it, and, and it's been really successful. You played defensive back in community college and college, and uh, you know now you still get to coach a little bit of the defensive backfield along with special teams. But... Um, you know, did you did you think back then, like maybe someday I will I will be in coaching, or did you just like football so much that you saw yourself potentially being around it? 
No, none of the above, to be honest with you. I, I have kind of a, a weird coaching story. I, I won't take too long. But basically, I grew up in a single-mother single, single mother household. My mom was a really, really big influence on me, continues to be. But I didn't have a dad growing up. My uncles are kind of like my dad. So when I went to college, and I tell my players this now, and it's crazy. When I went to college, my college position coach ended up being the best man in my wedding. I mean, think, think about how yeah. crazy that is. My college position coach at Western Oregon, Chris Ball, who's the head coach at Northern Arizona now, he was, he was the best man in my wedding, right? That's how close I got to him. So he just had such a profound impact on me and really became, he gets mad when I say father figure because he doesn't want to seem that old, but he, he became like my dad, became like a father figure for me. And when I had a chance to go back and kind of get immersed in coaching a little bit, um, I saw the impact that I could have on guys, you know, that in, in a similar way. And, and it just really moved me. And, and again, I just never really looked back. You mentioned Bruce Barnum earlier. You guys played him this year. You put 81 on him. Was there any part of you in your heart that was going, ooh, you know, as the points were? And he even afterwards said, hey, they weren't trying. They were throttling down. We just couldn't stop him. He didn't see it as classless. But was there any part of you, Joe, looking over going, I know that guy, and there's part of this that that makes me uncomfortable? No, there was a huge part of that. Yeah, I, I know our team, I know our staff, I know our head coach, and I know they would never intentionally do that. So I knew there was no malice, but cer- certainly I felt for those guys. You know, I've, I've been in games like that when I was at Oak State and we play, you know, bigger teams. Um, and and so that part of it's not fun, but, but uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that it, it was done the right way and we weren't, you know, like you said, be, doing anything the wrong way, which I, I know Bruce acknowledged that we weren't. But certainly I felt for him, and I, I was just hoping that they could, you know, find a way to use it as a positive for their for their season and a way that their kids could get exposure to that kind of environment and, and at the end of the day, later on, look back at as a positive experience. Your kids, do they realize how cool it is that Dad's a football coach? Have, have they made that realization, or have they just grown up in it and maybe they don't know until they know? Man, I should I should have you talk to them. No, they they think I'm not cool at all. I'm a complete dork. I was my wife and I were had a late lunch a little bit ago. We were just talking about how my daughter the other day, like I told her to clean her room or something. She looked at me like, "Do you live here?" Like, like, who are you telling to clean their room? So like, right. no, I have no pull, no say. They tell me I dress bad. Um, no, they think I'm not cool at all. So I'm, I'm it's starting to affect me a little bit. All right. So big emotional game. I I've not seen Autzen Stadium that sort of uh, whipped into a frenzy in 20 years. Like, I, there have been big games, but the, it was a big emotional game for the fan base and for the team. I'm sure the coaching staff last week, Colorado. Now you pivot to Stanford. How have the practices been? Are you seeing, you know, are, are you seeing that same sort of passion, emotion, guarding for a letdown? Yeah, you know, to, to be honest with you, I don't think we did early in the week. You know, Coach Lanning re- really addressed the team uh, after after Monday's practice, and we didn't we didn't feel like it was good enough. You know, we didn't feel like like the energy was there, like the enthusiasm was there, like the work that was there that got us to this point. So he he really uh, was very direct with the team and addressed it. And since then, I've seen a, a total change in in our you know in our demeanor, in our work habits, because that this team's a really hardworking team. But that's the challenge, John, is is keeping keeping guys week to week to week, and, and you really, you know, some people call it coach speak, but you really have to have a one and no mentality uh, every single week. And whether you win or lose, you know, whatever day it is for us, it's Monday. It's not some teams, it's Sunday. you got to be able to turn the page, and it's much harder when you when you lose, but you got to be able to turn the page and move on because the next opponent isn't going to care, right? And you see it all over college football with upsets every week because it, it's even more in college than the NFL because it's just hard. These 18 to 22-year-old kids with so much, so much other stuff going on, it's really hard to manage them week to week to week. But uh, I think Coach addressing it early, 
Um, you know, I, I've seen a response from our players, and I expect that we'll play well on Saturday. Do you, are you a reader? Do you have a book on your nightstand? Are you a Netflix guy? What are you doing for downtime? I read every single day. I'm a huge reader, avid reader. And, uh, yeah, I'm reading a really good book right now. I'm trying to think of the name of it by Tim Russert. Um, okay. It's about his travels. His his father passed away. and it's about Oh, his yeah, travels. yeah. Oh, I yep. know what it's called. Look for me here. Yep. Or look from there. Yeah, it's really good. I'm about I'm about done with it. Yeah, great book. I'm a huge reader, but only uh, like true crime or nonfiction stuff, though. You know what? My dad got me that book, and I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. Now I gotta I gotta I go. Think I might have heard about it on your show, maybe. To be honest with you, I heard about it on the radio show and got it for after after that. It might, it's really it might. good. I, I heard you read it. We try to do that. We try to do it every June. We do like right in front of Father's Day. We do hey book recommendations. So we're gonna have to have you back on and have you give like your book club list. And then we can make it make that public. Yeah, let's do it, man. I usually read one or two a month, so let's let's do it. All right. Good luck this weekend. I appreciate you making time for us and uh, letting us get to know you a little bit. And uh, we'll have you back on, Joe. Thank you. No problem, John. I'm a big fan of yours. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you. There he is, Joe Lorig. He's the special teams coach. He also coaches the Nichols defensive backs and uh, University of Oregon on Saturday at Stanford. Will there be a letdown? I don't think so. I, I just think Oregon's too talented. And and Dan Lanning and Oregon, obviously, by week ahead, then Washington in week seven, this is kind of like run through the finish line. Coaches will talk about that all the time. Run through the goal line. You know, don't just finish the drill. Run five yards further. This is the five yards further part of Oregon's season because they will go into a bye week in week six. Then the showdown with Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington Huskies. All right, Stephen and I are going to lock in our picks for the week. Stephen, are you ready in the next segment? Can we do it? Yeah, I'm ready, man. Let's do this thing. We're going to lock in our picks. Still ahead, Sean Merriman, NFL linebacker. Yesterday we told you where we were leaning on the Pac-12 games. Now we can tell you who we're picking when it comes to the five Pac-12 games this weekend. I've got my picks. Stephen's got his picks uh, so far this season. I am 36-4, and four, picking games straight up. I'm doing all right there. Uh, my record against the spread is 18-13. and 13. That's 58%. Down 10% from last week because I went 1-5. I need a good week this week, Stephen. I need to save face. I need to go maybe, uh, uh, maybe three out of uh, five or better. So that's what I need to do. Let's see uh, if we agree or disagree on these games. Let's start with Utah. At Oregon State, the Friday game, 6 o'clock FS1. Here's the spread. Currently, Oregon State favored by 3.5. I would love to see that drop to 3 because I think it's a 3-point game, despite the fact that Oregon State hasn't looked good, despite the fact that DJ Uingalele has looked uh, shaky. I am going to pick Oregon State 24-21 over Utah. That means I like Utah on the points, but I like Oregon State to win. Steven. Yeah, and I mean, depending on where you're looking, John, you can look at different books. It's going up in Oregon State's fashion. You can get them Ooh. minus four, even maybe four and a half. It's going that way. I think that means maybe Nate Johnson will be playing. According, you know, mm. people in Vegas think he may be the guy instead of Cam Rising. I don't know what that, you know, does to your, uh, your change of heart there if it does at all. But I tell you what, I don't really care who the quarterback is. The more I think about this game, the more I like Utah in it. And Whew. I, 
I can't go against Kyle Winningham, man. Every time I do, he I he he just punches me in the face every time, and and it's always a win for Utah. I look at Oregon State, and I just don't like the way they've played the last two ball games. San Diego, I agree. San Diego State, they were not very good in that game. They're lucky they were playing San Diego State, and then Washington State, they were down by twenty one points going in the fourth quarter. Like I know they only lost by three. But I don't think they played very well in that game. They played one good quarter, and so I don't think you can afford that against a team like Utah, who has that tough defense. It's going to be a real low-scoring game, but I think Utah wins it on the field. I think it's you know like a twenty to fourteen type of game, maybe twenty-four, twenty-one, something like that. But I think Utah gets the win regardless of who the quarterback is. All right. So home favorites in the Pac-12 are twenty-three and one when it comes to winning the game straight up. Are you saying we're going to see win number two? By a road dog. I am. I'm, I think I'm saying that. I, I just don't trust the Oregon. The Oregon State defense fell apart against Washington State, and then the offense hasn't looked good the last two weeks. I, I don't see how DJ Uyunglele is going to be throwing the ball on this Utah defense, and then when they're you know, straddled up to guard that run, I just don't know how effective it's going to be. I, I think Utah's got him this week. I'm looking for the... Uh... Looking for the loss, uh, you know, the home loss this week. But uh, just, just I'm looking to find out who that team was that lost the game. It was Stanford. Stanford was a home favorite and lost the game. So there it is, early in the year. So good home favorites uh, apparently cover 23 and 0 if you're a good home favorite. All right, moving on. Game number two in the lineup uh, in week five. Let's uh, move to USC at Colorado Saturday morning, 9 a.m. on Fox. I just am not a believer in Colorado, and maybe there's some recency bias. I just saw Oregon boat race them. USC is a 21.5-point favorite. I think Colorado's going to score a little bit in this game. I'm going to give them 21. So, But I think USC is going to be in the 50s. I think it's 55-21, USC covers. Yeah, I think it's kind of like last week, only you know, Colorado's going to score a little bit more against USC. The USC defense is not as good as Oregon. But I think USC is going to show up for this game. They sleptwalk through that Arizona State game. You know, playing around with it, kind of almost lost for a second there. But I think having the game be big noon kickoff, having all the eyes on it, Colorado here, all the talk. I think USC is going to come out ready. Caleb Williams is going to put a show on for the nation to try to say, you know what, this is why I'm the number one pick. This is why I won the Heisman last year. And I with you. I think USC uh, wins and covers this game fairly easily. This game, I was leaning one way, and now I'm picking another. Arizona State at Cal, 12 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Network. I had a hard time with this game because Cal's favored by 11.5. That line could be going bigger. I like Cal now in this game, and here's why. Arizona State's only managed 67 points on offense all season. They're turning to their number three quarterback this week. It'll be uh, Trenton Bourget at quarterback as they've got, you know, the first two guys are hurt. So I think they're the perfect patsy for Cal. And, again, home favorites. Cal wins. I think Cal also covers. I got it 31-17. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. I, I like this one a lot. I think Cal is going to, you know, not, I guess, dominate the game. But I'm with you. The Arizona State quarterback situation is not good. Even if it was Drew Pine, he hasn't been great. Jade Rashada hasn't been great either. So I don't think Arizona State can score a lot of points. I also think they threw the kitchen sink at USC. And they put it all on the field to try to win that game. And they were in it. But I think that would be a little letdown spot here at Cal. Needs this win at home. I think they're just the better team. Uh, and it's just one of those years. It's year zero for Kenny Dillingham. So I think Cal wins this game by at least two touchdowns, and I would take Cal and uh, delay the points. Oregon's at Stanford, 3.30 Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Oregon's had a hard time at Stanford at different times, and people keep pointing to two years ago, lost that game. Joe Moorhead went to the hospital that game. I, I'm throwing that one out. 
I like Oregon in this game. They're favored by 27. I just don't think Stanford's very good. I got it 42-13, Oregon. Oregon covers the 27. Yeah, I mean, it's completely different teams, different coaches for Stanford, too. You know, that was David Shaw. Now we got uh, Troy Taylor as the head coach of Stanford. I think Oregon, I would say this. If Oregon played Washington next week, I may pick Stanford plus the points, but they have that bye week in between. They play Washington next, but they have the bye week. I think Lanning can get through to the Oregon team and get them focused again, coming off that emotional win against Colorado. So I think Oregon, they can name their score. They're going to cover this game because you know what? they have that bye week coming up. Then they got Washington in a big-time game. So I don't think that they're going to be overlooking Stanford since the, since the Washington game is two weeks away. If it was next week, maybe this is a spot I'd go Stanford, but uh, I'll take Oregon late points. Speaking of Washington, the Huskies have been averaging 467 passing yards per game this season. That is ridiculous. They are 18.5-point favorites playing at Arizona, 7 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Network. I like Washington. I think they cover. I don't think it's that comfortable, but it's like 42-20, 42-21. They cover the 18.5. Jaden Delora's ankle's not right. Washington's going to put up a whole bunch of points. I just can't see Arizona keeping pace. There's a little danger here in that Arizona's defense has been better this season. But by better, I mean, yeah, can they hold Washington to 38 or 42? That's going to be better. Yeah, yesterday I was leading Washington. I kind of switched my mind on this. I think Arizona can not keep the game close, but they can can get the cover. And and the reason is, is Washington, for how good they've been offensively, and it's maybe the best in the nation, they gave up over 500 yards. To Cal last week. I don't know if we can think about like they gave up over 30 points, over 500 yards to Cal at home. I think Arizona has a better offense than Cal. They may be able to get some things going against Washington. I think Washington ultimately wins the game. But I think Arizona at home can at least keep it within two scores and uh, maybe you know put a little bit of a scare going into the Pac-12 season as Washington. You know they got the bye week and then face Oregon. They're looking ahead. Maybe I, I just think this is a spot where Arizona can put up some points against a Washington defense that hasn't proven to be elite so far. You, we, I think we both agree that the, the the underdog who's most likely to win this week is the Friday night game at Oregon State. Like, you've got Utah winning that game. I've got Utah losing by three. I think it's a really close game, but I, I don't see any of the other dogs as being a uh, threat to win. Maybe Arizona State can hang with Cal, maybe, if some things broke right. But other than that, I, I expect to see the winners being Oregon, uh, Cal, USC over Colorado. I mean, might it be Colorado at home? Like if they can just outscore no, USC? Come on. No, 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 no. You watched last week. Colorado's just not Colorado's not very good. And the problem Colorado has is nobody's going to overlook them. Nobody's going to look past them. There's too much attention. The USC kids are going to fly around and they want to play. Sean Merriman's coming up. Former NFL linebacker. Leave it here. Our next guest, Sean Merriman, longtime NFL player. You may remember him as Lights Out. Sean Merriman, three-time Pro Bowler. He was the defensive uh, player of the year in the NFL. Maryland guy who stayed loyal to his soil joins us now. He's uh, he's in the fight game now. But let, let's go back to the loyal to the soil part. You you could have gone anywhere. Why would you go to Maryland? It, you know, for me, man, it was my backyard. And uh, at the time, uh, I went to Frederick Douglass High School in Nepal, Marlboro, Maryland, which is about 25 minutes from Maryland. And most of the big players were leaving the area, right? They were going to Florida State. They were going to Florida, Alabama, somewhere, Penn State, because, you know, you, 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 you know, Miami or USC, they were all leaving the area. So I just wanted to make an example like, hey, you could be a big player from here and stay home. And 
Fortunately, I did that because we had a lot of, you know, big-name guys that stayed home. Vernon Davis, you know, was one that stayed home. And Tory uh, Smith, you know. So we, there were guys that came after me and said, you know what, we don't have to go anywhere else. We have the best talent here in, in the DMV area. And, uh, you know, I kind of triggered something there. In the NFL, we'll see, a, you know, a linebacker or a defensive end who get a sack. And I, I think to myself, that has to feel good. What does that feel like? You led the league in sacks once. What is that? When you when you achieve your goal on a play and you actually get to the quarterback, what's that feel like? So I used to have these arguments all the time with Antonio Gates. Where like, what was more harder or more satis- uh, you get more satisfaction from is a touchdown or a sack? And I said, dude, there's nowhere close to getting a sack, right? I mean, you can score any time, but if you get a sack, man, a forced turnover, a fumble recovery from that, like a three, a three, you know, hit deal, right? Uh, the crowd goes crazy, and you know, you're a defensive player that's able to control and change the game. Like that's hard to do on the defensive side of the football. You, you as a as a high school kid, I I, I want to say you were like an all state player in basketball too. Like you were a multi sport guy. Did that help you? Oh, no, for sure. And I, I encourage, like, all athletes coming up, man, play multiple sports, you know, play basketball, football, play, you know, run track, play football, do something else um, because he wrestled. There's a lot of uh, great football players that also wrestled, Ray Lewis being one. I think Brian Erlacher was another one. There's a ton of guys who were great wrestlers that was great football players. So I tell, tell guys, play multiple sports you're coming up. It's, it's cool to play one sport year-round, but these other sports really help you out. Yeah, and you get a lot of coaches, too, that will put pressure on kids, and they'll say, well, if you're not playing, somebody else is going to take your position. And you know, But I think you look around, you see guys like yourself and, and Dominican Sue, who was a soccer player as a kid, and you see kids that you know develop footwork and develop you know their muscles in, in non-football ways. Well, I wasn't going to be a ballerina like some of these guys, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because there was a lot, a lot of that going on back in the day. So, uh, yeah, the, the ballerina stuff I stayed, stayed away from. But I definitely believe in uh, doing other sports, and it will ultimately help you on the football field. What do you make of today's game and how much they protect the quarterback? It frustrates me. On Sunday Night Football, I saw what should have been a sack get called a personal foul, and I thought, gosh, you know, I get it. They're trying to protect the quarterback, but feels like uh, they're erring on the side of being delicate. Well, what started all this is in uh, 2007 or eight, I believe, when, when Tom Brady tore his ACL. Um, that, that's when the quarterback rule really picked up because it was such a blow to the NFL by not having the biggest name player on the field. So I get it why they implement it. Um, and, and, yeah, certain guys should be protected like the quarterback position. But as a defensive player, when you're going in there trying to make a play, you got a split second to, to make a decision on what you want to do and how you want to do it. That, that's, that becomes the issue. Um, because a defensive player, you just want to get the guy on the ground. And that's, that's by any means necessary because if you don't, you know what's going to happen. You, you're going to get yelled at when you get back to the sideline. You're going to wait, the next day when you guys are in the team meeting room watching film, you're going to get called out. So I, I, it's difficult, even though I think that some of the rule changes were really good for the NFL, like the crack back blocks, um, you know, guy being able to chop you from a lateral uh, position down. The, so, yeah, I, I get the protection of the players. I get a helmet-to-helmet contact for sure, right? Got safety's running full speed and knocking guys out. I get all that. But when you're talking about a pass rush or somebody getting after the quarterback, you got a split second to get that guy on the ground by any means necessary. Sean Merriman, our guest, uh, 
you know, in the NFL, defensive rookie of the year in 2005, number 12 overall pick in the draft. We're going to talk to him about what he's doing now. Before I get there, Sean, you mentioned Tom Brady. Were there were there great quarterbacks that you look at and maybe the public doesn't quite appreciate what they were doing on the field? Or what, what is that like when you find yourself in a game against a veteran who is poised, who knows what the hell he's doing out there? Well, you know, I think the biggest thing is, look, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I've always had this conversation of if I was a GM and I'm starting a team, which quarterback am I starting my team with? My answer has always been uh, Peyton Manning. Um, Peyton Manning, in my opinion, had better intangibles, right? He had a stronger arm. Uh, he was definitely more controlling, more active on the field as far as calling plays. Like, you, you knew um, when you went in to, to play Peyton Manning, you, you were playing like a big brain, right? Like, just a machine that would just sit there and call out your defenses, who coming and what gap, what audibles you're doing, what switches, just everything. And so, if I'm a GM starting on a team, and I played against both, and and I hate the comparison because sometimes when you compare two guys, you're, you're and sometimes in people's eyes, they say, oh, well, you're talking crap about Tom Brady. It's like, I'm not. It's just that when you're starting a team off, we talk about just basically attributes and tangibles. Um, you know, I always say that Peyton Manning was was the greatest that I played against. What is that like when he's when you're out on the field? You got a defense, you got a blitz called or something, and you got the quarterback on the other side calling it out. You know, he's done his homework. What does that do to you? Well, it puts you in a bad situation because. Look, our, our things was we, we had this thing where we had we called it Hollywood, right? You show different blitzes, you line up at different gaps, but that's not where you're going to end up at when the ball snaps. And to line up in the gap and have Peyton Manning call you out and say, hey, you're not coming in the B, B gap, you're coming off the edge. <laughs> in the play, before the play, you're like, okay, damn, all right? <laughs> you know, um, and so it, it's demoralizing because you got somebody that's, that's so prepared um, per game, and those guys are the hardest to go against. Sean Merriman is with us. Was was Manning a trash talker? Uh, you know, he comes off as a trash talker when he does the Manning cast. Uh, no, you know, it's crazy because um, I didn't really get around to understand how cool Peyton Manning was and what kind of a person he was just in general until the Pro Bowl. Yeah. So, obviously, during the games, you're competitive. Like, you hate everybody that's not on your team, right, just point <laughs> blank. And yeah. you want to get after everybody and you're trash talking everybody. But those four quarters you're supposed to, and then when you get off the field, everything's cool, but you still don't have a, a real interaction with some of these guys. And I just remember drinking my ties and hanging around the pool down in Hawaii for the Pro Bowl and Peyton Manning making jokes. And um, I, you know, I recall, like, you know, I was going over to the gym in the morning uh, to get some, some buys and tries, right? You got to you know, keep the, <laughs> keep the arms uh, buff over there in Hawaii. And, and I walk in there, and Peyton Manning's doing leg press. Um with, you know, six, eight plates on that thing. And he this is the Pro Bowl. And so you knew that you were dealing with uh, just a different caliber of, of human being, man. And it was an, it was just impressive to see. You have now transitioned into the fight game. And what are you doing with Lights Out Extreme Fighting? How did you get involved? Yeah, I, I actually started training during the off-seasons with Jay Glazer over at Fox Sports. Um, I grew up in the Prince George's County, uh, Prince George's County and DMV area where the Boxing was prevalent. Um, I had uncles and family members that were pro boxers, so I just naturally grew up boxing. Um, in 2005, when I got drafted by the Chargers, MMA kind of caught fire. People started to know about the UFC and just MMA globally. 
Um, and so I started to train MMA just to help my hand-eye coordination and, and um, you know, endurance, stamina, uh, hip mobility, leverage. And I started training with some of the best fighters in the world, man, every offseason, Chuck Liddell, T. Ortiz. I've, I've got a chance to spar and train with all of them. And I just fell in love with the sport. Um, I launched Lights Out Extreme Fighting uh, 2019. We're on Fubo Sports, Fubo TV. Um, we got a big fight coming up uh, October 7th. And the guy you just named, A.J. Hopkins, is somebody who I was after for a while because my whole business really in this sport is to find more former athletes to transition them, right? Big college players that maybe didn't get a shot in the NFL or maybe a guy that uh, career was cut short due to injury or, you know, just, just a, a bad situation with, a, with a, a, a front office or a scheme or a coach. And didn't really get their shot, man, but still feel physically ready to compete. Those guys, I believe if I get them early enough, I can, you know, help them turn them into a champion. And, then I, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, you know, former guys finding a way after they get done playing ball. When you look back, do you wish that you that this would have been around when you were, you know, high school or maybe even in college? So the college, uh, my high school wrestling coach, we still talk to this day, and I never wrestled, right? And I would come in there sometimes, and I would, like, pin guys. And I, I, I had no technique, anything. I was just strong and, and raw and athletic and explosive. And he would help me all the time to come in there and wrestle. And I said, uh, Coach, you, you see how hot it is in this room, right? <laughs> like, no. Um, and, you know, I, I wish I did, man, because I would have just picked up something else in my repertoire. And uh, when I retired in 2012, 2013, uh, MMA wasn't as big as it is now, right, uh, Globally, the, the amount of eyeballs is more mainstream now than it was when I retired. Uh, and I still, still today, I mean, I, I sparred a guy, uh, you know, guy the other day. I get a chance to be around a lot of the fighters where I'll go and open mat on Fridays and I'll go get me three or four uh, five-minute rounds in and just get some work to stay disciplined. Uh, but other than that, man, I, I love the uh, promotion side of it, the the building of the organization. You know, we just crossed over uh, to the top five, top ten most watched in football sports. And I'm a big believer in, in the fans, man. The fans will tell you if they like a product or not, and our viewership numbers are, are fans that they do. Sean, you, you guys, I think, are drawing in UFC fans, of course, that are, are you know are used to that. But how is Lights Out, in your mind, different or better or complementary to the to what's going on in UFC. Well, we we want these guys coming up, right? We want the next up and coming superstars, and I, we get every couple every fight. I see a couple up and coming five both fighters, both men and women, who I, I can look at and be like, yeah, they're going to be a champ one day. Oh yeah, they're going to the UFC. We we love giving them that platform, man. That's that's what this whole thing is about. Just giving them an opportunity to be seen. Um, and we're getting calls from fighters all over the country. I mean, that's how I found AJ. Um, by, you know, just us getting the viewership. And I, I, I remember watching him play because he played at the same time with Justin Herbert. Um, and I, I went to a couple games, and I didn't even know that he was fighting at the time. So now we get a chance to put him on a platform so people know who he, who he is. I mean, we, we couldn't find a fight for AJ. Like, if we got, people were pulling out left and right because this guy's going to be a star one day. And he is, I mean, he is brutal to go against. And uh, that, that football background, that, that work ethic, that discipline, that mentality, uh, he's really going to do well in this sport. It, it's fun to watch you know, that and him sort of fine footing in something after football. And you as well, man. I mean, did you expect that, you know, li you know when did you start thinking about life after football? Were, were you one of those guys who, uh, 
came into the league knowing it wasn't going to last forever or five, seven years into it, did you go, oh, man, I better figure something out? Well, you know, I got my nickname lights out my sophomore year in high school. Um, and I knocked out four, four kids in one game. And I remember after the game I had about 20 students rushing to me saying, man, you knocked those guys' lights out. And I said, yeah, you know what, call me lights out. And that name stuck, and I didn't think it would. And obviously with having a nickname like lights out, like you got to go. It's, it's like having a name in Rucker Park, right? You can't be called something and you cannot go out and prove it. So every level from high school to college to pros, I had to go and play like lights out, you know. And uh, it just, um, you know, it's one of those it, it's one of those things that really um, that stuck around and became mainstream, and people knew me more as lights out than they did, you know, as Sean. So um, to, to now make that transition into the sport of MMA, man, it's like I get an opportunity for all these football fans and people that's followed me uh, over my career to now get them to watch Lights Out, and it's pretty pretty cool. Lights Out Extreme Fighting, October seventh. It's happening in Long Beach. Uh, you can get tickets at lightsoutxf.com. Um, before I let you go, you mentioned Justin Herbert. What do you think of the kid? Unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. And I think that, um, you know, even with their slow start and them losing that big game against Miami, I was there. Um, when you got an offense and a quarterback that can throw 30-plus points on you per game, um, you should feel very confident, uh, confident as, a, as a defender. If you're that defense knowing that, you can keep somebody under 28 points a game that you're probably going to have a really good chance of winning. Um, that's impressive. And Justin Herbert, man, outside of him breaking records and doing all these things, he's going to go down if he keeps up this uh, this streak. He'll go down as one of the best to ever do it. But until he gets deep in the playoffs, ASU championship game, uh, Super Bowl, because he has the, he has that talent. He he has the capabilities of doing that. Not everybody does, and I wouldn't say it just because he. You know, I'm a, still a supporter of the Chargers. Like this this dude is unbelievable. And um, you know, I, I think when they played Wisconsin, was it Wisconsin? They played in college for the championship. Um, I forgot the game, but I was there. I was watching them, and I I tweeted out during the combine. Um, I tweeted out during the combine that uh, this was a guy. This was this is the guy. They when they brought him in, I knew automatically that he was going to be the long term solution for the Chargers, and he is. Yeah, I think it was Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl that you saw where you just lit him up, and you know they kind of oh, had, yeah, had yeah. their way I, with I was, it. Yeah. I, was, I was there for that game, yeah. and I and I saw him in person, and I said, man, this this dude is going to be outrageous on the next level, and he's he's proven to be just that. All right, Sean Merriman. Hey, I appreciate your time. Uh, congrats on what you're doing with Lights Out, Extreme Fighting, and uh, we'll all tune in next weekend to see A.J. Hodgkins, uh, former Oregon Duck, fighting and uh, see what he can do with it. You got it. Thanks for having me. And there he goes, Sean Merriman. I love the stories about Peyton Manning. Uh, obviously, his uh, expertise in football. He's now parlayed this into life after football with Extreme Fighting. We leave it right here. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Coming up, Stephen and I will play... Fun fact or nah? <laughs> We're going to need to have two votes for it to be unanimous. Uh, Anna is going to sit out of today's fun fact or nah because she's at the DMV, which is not at all fun. She's in line at DMV. Yeah, that, that's a nah right there. That's a nah. Uh, but we will play Punch It Audio first, then fun fact or nah, and the 5 at 5 is coming up top of the hour and we'll lead you right into thursday night football but let's start with punch it audio 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with uh, Pac-12 game. Joel Klatt talking about Utah. Utah is undefeated. 4-0, coming off a win over UCLA last week. Never mind that it was ugly. It was still a win. 14-7. Here's Joel Klatt talking about the Utes traveling on Friday night to Reeser Stadium to play Oregon State. Punch it. Utah is interesting because Utah is not anywhere near their potential, and yet they're they're out there winning games. This will be their toughest test to date. This is a tougher test than Florida. This is a tougher test than, than UCLA. Remember, both of those games were at home. Salt Lake is an incredible home field advantage for the Utes. They're really good at home. Not that they're not good on the road, it's just going to be more difficult. And this is a team in Oregon State that will present some problems. They can also play physical. They can run the football. Now, losing last week doesn't help, but I will tell you, the effort that Utah gave in the win against UCLA and the emotion that they showed after the game, there could be a bit of a letdown here. Looks to me like this is, position by position, the most difficult game for Utah of the season. I love Utah's coaching staff. I think they do a really good job. I think they're up against another good staff with Oregon State and Jonathan Smith this week. It's a great battle. Both programs on the offensive side haven't looked great to me. But I'm picking Oregon State at home just because I love the home field in this game. I If Utah, if this game's at Rice-Eccles Stadium, I'm picking Utah all day. But because it's at Reister Stadium where the Beavers have won 13 out of 14, I'm going with Oregon State. I think they right the ship. The question to me is, do they play DJ Uyunglele at quarterback? Will Jonathan Smith play him? Now, he was asked earlier this week in his news conference if he would if he would play Aiden Childs, the backup. You know, And he said he's going to start DJ, and he said that on this show. He said he'd start DJ, but here's what Jonathan Smith said. Punch it. We're always discussing, and this is for every position, of like, you know, the rotations and how guys are developing, coming along, and so we're discussing. Again, DJ's started quarterback, did some good things in the game, got us back into the game a couple of drives. Um, could he play better? 100%. Uh, we need to protect him. We need to make some plays on the ball. Um, and then, yeah, he's got a couple throws in there that he, he needs to make, so... Yes, and DJ's starting. DJ's starting, but I still think we could see Aiden Childs. Steven, Jonathan Smith came on the show. He, I asked him the same question. I left the question thinking we're going to see Childs for a series here or a series there in the game. I agree with you, and um, I think it's the right move. Like, I, I don't want to say, like, DJ hasn't lost the job yet for sure, and he wasn't the reason they lost to Washington State, but... I want to see what Aiden Childs can do, uh, and I, th- I think he's the future of the Oregon State Beavers. I think they know that. I think Jonathan Smith knows that. So you want to see what he can do on a Friday night against you know, maybe the top defense in the Pac-12. I, I, I'm with you. A series, if they do well, maybe give him a second series and see where it goes from there. Utah, very good on the defensive side of the ball. Shut down Florida, gave Baylor problems, gave UCLA fits. Damian Martinez, Oregon State running back, doesn't sound that impressed, though. Punch it. Uh, I mean... Another team, really, honestly. I mean, yeah, they're good, but I believe in our line. I'm really confident in our line. Everything like that, so I'll take good for anybody. Says they're good, just another team. I believe in our O-line. I like his confidence, but I also think don't underestimate Utah. 
Utah makes uh, makes hay when you underestimate them. Does seem like a little bit of uh, you know we're gonna plaster this on the locker room for Utah right here. Hey, you know what, Damian <laughs> Martinez? This guy says we're just another team. Let's go show him what's up. But I do want to ask you about DJ real quick though. Going back to that, do yeah. you think that hurts his confidence if Aiden Childs does come in for a series or two? Because you know we've heard that before. Like you just want to give DJ the job and you know don't want to hurt his confidence. Does that hurt his confidence at all? I think it does. I think you run a risk that if you bring Childs into the game and he plays well, that J.J. plays quarterback for the next week or this, you know, the rest of the game looking over his shoulder. But I don't think you can put that in front of what's right for the team. So I think if he manages, and by he I mean Jonathan Smith, if he manages D.J. Uyengalele correctly, he goes to him this week and he says, look, you're my starter. We're nowhere near ready to hand the keys to a freshman. But I need to get him in the game, and I'd like to get him a change of pace, and I'd like to use that series to give you a chance to get to the sideline and watch it for a series so that when you get back in for the rest of the game, you have a chance to see what they're doing. And I I think if you frame it the right way, it just comes off as, hey, it's a change of pace. But I think we all know what's happening. I think, you know, DJ just hasn't been dominant. And I think he's good enough in this game to challenge – Utah down the field, and that's what Dante Moore did not do a week ago at UCLA. He had no ability to throw the ball down the field. Just didn't look good, didn't look like he was ready for the stage. Tough environment to play in. I think DJ will be better in this game. I think it'll be good enough, but I think we're going to see some Aiden Childs. Now the question is, is Aiden Childs ready? And is he ready for a defense that is very good? Like, you know, Utah's good. Great team defense. Year in and year out. And, you know, I saw them in person for the Florida game. They stymied Florida. And they're only allowing 51 rushing yards per game this season. You know, some of that could be, you know, they haven't faced a great back yet. Haven't faced a great run game. Florida was clunky on the offensive side. UCLA, I, I you know, I was really disappointed with the way they tried. They didn't run the ball effectively at all. I, this is the biggest challenge for Utah. It's also... I think a hell of a challenge for Oregon State at home. Adrian Wojnarowski breaking down the Milwaukee Bucks trade for Damian Lillard. Woj revealing that the Milwaukee Bucks general manager, John Horst, did not talk to Giannis before pulling the trigger on the deal. Listen to this. Punch it. Directly, he literally played no role. In fact, uh, John Horst, Milwaukee's GM, he did not bring this trade idea uh, or sign off on it to Giannis Antetokounmpo because Drew Holiday was involved and the relationship there, the reverence that this organization and these players have for Holiday. He did not want to put that mm. to Giannis Antetokounmpo and have him have that on his conscience necessarily that he might sign off or not sign off on it. He decided ultimately, John Horst did, this is a decision I have to make as GM along with ownership Interesting to me that he didn't have the sign-off. Or are they just positioning it that way in Milwaukee? It gives you an idea where the general manager's got autonomy and doesn't have a wannabe owner over the shoulder that you kind of know who's making the personnel decisions in Milwaukee. I think it's a healthy dynamic at the very least. Troy Franklin, Oregon wide receiver, dangerous receiver, talking to reporters here about how the other receivers make him better. What does he mean? Punch it. When the ball comes their way, they can make that play, you know. Um, and obviously, 
people aren't out there getting double coverage. They have to play true to a coverage, you know, like a real coverage. So, um, yeah, it just helps us, like, you know, with our plays, things like that. We don't have to really, like, kind of, um, like, dial up special things really like that, you know, so. Yeah, you don't have to dial special things up, but I really felt like we missed out on something last week. A healthy Travis Hunter against Troy Franklin would have been fun to watch. And Colorado would have done that. They would have just said, he's your guy. And I think it would have been interesting to see how Troy Franklin fared in that setting because I think it's fun to watch those kind of those kind of matchups. But we got robbed of that. Troy Franklin's great. He's dominant. I think he'll be there all year predicting big things for him. I think he'll set records this season at Oregon for yardage and possibly receptions. Bo Nix is going to find him often, particularly this week against Stanford. Keep an eye on that. Breaking down the Blazers' trade, the Dan Lebertard Show, there's nothing like poking fun at yourself. Well, they they talked about Damian Lillard to Miami so many times that it became a running bit after Damian Lillard didn't end up in Miami. Here's Dan Lebertard and his crew making fun of themselves, playing every time they said Damian Lillard is coming to Miami. Lillard to Miami is done rejoice get those number zero jerseys ready it's not because they're trying to create the space to get Lillard because they know they've got Lillard that this is done that this is essentially done and all that needs to be happen now is the agents have to agree to a couple more things no one will actually want to acquire a SAR that's going to come in and immediately make a mess of things and the reality of this conversation is there is no conversation. There's one offer out there, and it's for Tyler Hero, and he's a good enough player alongside the bevy of first-round picks that will be offered and the other types of money that'll fill in, that this will be a great deal. There would be no argument for any other franchise to get a great player like Damian Lillard for this type of deal anywhere but Miami. It's Miami, and there there is no wiggle room there. Thank you for bringing up Woj. But he's had bad looks. Well, the Heat know that he is just agenda-based, shilling and bought and paid for by Portland. Like, it's embarrassing. You're leveraged, Portland. Like, nothing that Woj writes is going to change the offer. The offer's the offer. It's the best one you're going to get from Miami. And they think it's the best one you're going to get. The offer is Hero, and Hero's the best one you're going to get from anybody. He's better than Maxi. He's the best you're going to get. You're boxed in. Lillard wants to be with us. So once you apply reason to it, no one can come up with anything better. I'm stunned by the mask being taken off of Vogue this way in the way in a way that the Heat are like, yeah, you're just writing for Portland. Like, that's not journalism. That's not journalism. Didn't this just happen to Schefter not that long ago, though? Like, th- this journalism wing is not quite what it was in the information game. Like, that that part is completely different, and those guys might be capable of doing some journalism, but the information game at this point is not journalism. What he is engaging in is protecting one of his closest sources by giving them cover by saying, well, there's no way he's going to go to Miami. It's all poppycock. James Lillard <laughs> wants to be here. <laughs> And you do whatever you want, Milwaukee. And Miami Heat are going to get Dan Willard. <laughs> I love it. Dan Levitard and his crew making fun of themselves. We can do that, too, on this show. For sure. We it's got refre- a lot of opportunity to It's do refreshing that. to hear, like, when people own it, you know, because they were so certain that Dane was going to Miami. And I think a lot of Miami fans were. And that's how they all were acting. And then it's like, oh, I guess he's not going to Miami. So I thought that was pretty funny, man. Well, we're so used to seeing NBA stars drive the bus and dictate where they want to go. And so when Damian Lillard gives the Blazers his preferred list of destination, 
it, and it's one team. It's one city. You know, it's like it's like when my seven year old is in the car, and I'll make the mistake that every parent in America makes, and I'll say, "Well, what do you want for lunch or dinner?" And she'll go sushi or McDonald's, or she'll give me one thing, and uh, and I'm like, "We're nowhere near any of that." And that's the one thing that she wants, and I'll be like, "Well, what else?" No, that's what I want. You know, yeah. that's not a list. <laughs> that's exactly a great definition because that happens all the time. Where it's like, yeah, it's it's this or nothing, and then that's exactly how Miami thought, and that's what uh, Levitard and their crew were running with. So you know, and I don't blame them too because it, for a while, John, it seemed like it was Miami or nothing for Dame, but in the end, it goes to Milwaukee. Here's the thing, too. My parents, I never got that choice. I cannot remember my parents turning to me at any point and asking me for any input at all on what was going to happen as it pertained to what we were going to ingest. You know, it was always, this is what you get yeah, what we you ha- starve. It's what we have in the cupboard. What, I mean, what, you know, yeah. what we got there, that's what we're having. I, I make the mistake all the time, and especially if it's me and the 7-year-old and the 9-year-old. I'll say, what do you want? And as I'm saying it, the words are coming out of my mouth. I'm going, mistake, mistake. That was a mistake. Don't give them the choice. What are you doing, you idiot? And then, of course, the seven-year-old, she's like a sushi fiend, okay? Anna's got her trained. She's eating the fish eggs, the raw stuff. I mean, it's just it's insane. And the nine-year-old wants no part of it. And so what happens is I end up at two different places trying to make them all happy. It's like I need to go to a food cart to satisfy everybody. Because one of them's like, no, don't want sushi. The other one's like, I, t- I only want sushi. Now, I've taken now, I've taken to, uh, my, I've shifted my parenting stance. Maybe I'm a bad dad. But I've shifted my parenting stance to saying this is what we're having. And then they'll both be unhappy. And I'll go, well, you can either eat it or you can just you don't have to eat you can just sit there and watch me eat and they generally will eat so that's where i'm at in this saga when it comes to them uh that's punch it audio it's the best sound from all around i want to break down uh further damian lillard's song farewell yes he did a song yes it's reflective of generation instead of a news release instead of a tweet instead of a video Damian Lillard has left Portland with a song. An arrow pointed at who assumed it was greater. Amazing what I get in return for this labor. I continue leaving trails but won't be for the Blazers. To the fans, man, I love you. It's unconditional. Reasons for me leaving the city's nothing typical. So it's imperative not to believe the narrative. Just know that what I left is better than what I inherited. I leave at peace because I know in the end that this is business. Hope you remember all the things you got to sit and witness. In the future, man, I hope we greet with hugs and kisses but you should know that they the ones who chose another mission they fishing they fishing <laughs> steven what do you make of the song farewell it seemed a little petty to me i don't know i just the fact that it's he's blaming the narrative of everything he's blaming the blazers for everything like i understand like the blazers didn't necessarily put the best teams around you dame but at the same time like you also said you weren't going to be going for a championship. Like, championships didn't matter to you. You didn't care about ring culture. But then you wanted out of Portland. Like, I don't blame you for wanting out, but these are things you said. And so it's just like, I don't know. It seems a little petty on the way out to put this right out day of after you had traded. But, I mean, it's obviously something he had planned. And 
Um, you know, I, I would love to know what he is saying the narrative is. You know, and his cousin has said things about that too on Twitter. Like, I can't wait to say the truth. What's what the truth? I don't know. That Portland just didn't want to trade you to Miami. Like, I do you guess. think it's big? It's like bigger in their world than it is in the rest of the world. I think. I guess so. I don't know because I don't know what the truth would be. I, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that Portland just didn't want to do with Miami, and that's not that big of a deal. I understand that because you trade Dame Lillard to Miami. Everyone's going to crush you and say, oh, Pat Riley won the deal no matter what, just because of his reputation. It's like when, uh, you know, if the Pittsburgh Steelers draft anybody, you think they're going to be good. Or the Golden State Warriors trade for someone. It's going to be a good trade. That's the same with the Heat. Pat Riley makes a deal. You think you lost that deal. So I understand what the Blazers are doing. I, just, I, just, I would love to know what they think the truth actually is to see if I actually buy it, or else I just feel like it's a little petty on the way out. Look, he's a professional athlete, and there's a stage that comes with that. But... I also think there is a propensity among athletes to get very insular in their thinking. They surround themselves with sycophants and handlers and enablers who tell them how great they are all the time. And they, I think they lose touch with the world. And I, I don't, I'm not singling out Damian Lillard here, but if like this whole conspiracy theory, the truth will come out, the narratives, all, I, I kind of feel like it's a bigger deal in his mind and in their circle than it is on the outside because all of us who are here on the outside know that players come and go, general managers come and go, coaches come and go, fans stay behind and stay forever, media members stay for a while, but it's it, it this isn't a unique experience that he's having here. This is kind of how it works. I could have told you, you know, when he was drafted, it isn't going to last forever here in Portland. Like, there'll be a life cycle for your career here. I don't have to rap about it. I can just tell you this is how it goes. I can tell you, Joe Cronin, that, you know, Blazer fans are going to outlast the GM. And I'm going to probably outlast the GM as a media member in the market. Like, you know, he'll be here for a few years until the Blazers go, okay, we're selling or we want someone else to have the job. Like, there's just a life cycle to it. So I get it, too. But here's the thing, like, I don't know what it takes to put together a song. I don't know if this is a 15-minute thing that Damian Lillard does or if this is all day, but I kind of get the impression that he had this song kind of sitting, waiting to drop for a while. Like maybe he's had it for weeks and weeks and weeks, could be months, that he has been sitting waiting for this song to be released. And I, I just, I would just rather have him... Give an interview or something. Give an interview in Milwaukee. Let's hear your voice. Hear you talk about it. Look at the camera. Look at the you know. Look at the fans that supported you. Instead of just leaving them with a song and a bunch of cryptic you know, uh, you know. Let's figure out what he meant by. That's kind of marked his era. You know the cryptic tweets, unfollowing the Blazers on Instagram. Just come out and talk. Like you know, speak louder. Let's play. Is it a fun fact or nah? That's next. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? Funny how? What? Just, you know, you're you're funny. (laughs) You mean, let me understand this, because I don't know. Maybe it's me, I'm a little maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? How is he funny, Joe Pesci? Uh, The Pac-12 research staff has been kind enough to give us 12 fun facts every week. 
But we'll be the judge of that. Is it funny or not? And, oh, by the way, I find this funny. I got the list today from Greg at the uh, Pac-12 headquarters, and (laughs) he gives them an alphabetical order. So I very quickly kind of scanned it, and then I realized UCLA and Washington State have buys, and so he just wrote buy. He's not given a fun fact on UCLA and Washington State. I think that's crap. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. You know, they get a buy. Everyone's off. Take it's a, a buy. Yeah, that's fun. That's, <laughs> a, that's a fun. That's a fun bye week. There's nothing funny about that. Um, all right, you, funny or nah? Fun fact or nah? Arizona. Here's the fact that they gave us. Arizona is seeking their first win over an AP top ten Washington team since beating the number one Huskies at home in 1992. Fun fact or nah? Ah, yeah, I'll say that's a little fun. The fact that uh, I feel like Arizona usually has like a decent upset, you know, every couple of years at home. The fact that they haven't had an upset of that nature since 92. I, yeah, I'm going to go with fun on that one. I'm going to say, yeah, it's fun. I like it. Uh, I think it's an interesting fact. AP top 10 Washington team ranked, you, ranked number one. Is there any chance Arizona can pull off that upset? No, I don't see it. I, I, Jane Delore's got a bad ankle. Washington's going to score a whole bunch of points. I think even if Washington doesn't show up to play, they kind of win a high. They have enough offense to go out and just outscore Arizona. I think they they win that game anyway. Um, Twenty-two game win streak, by the way, nineteen ninety-two that Arizona snapped by beating them. All right, number two, Arizona State Cam Scatabo is the only running back in the country with multiple pass completions. Fun fact or not? Nah? Uh Nah, because I was. I, it was in the USC game. They kept running halfback passes, so I, I, I saw it. They weren't that fun of plays, uh, so I'm gonna go with nah on that one. <laughs> they had no quarterback, yeah, they, so they, they had him. Yeah, they had he's a really good. He's a really fun player. It reminded me a little bit of Jack Coletto, how versatile he is. But uh, both of the passes came last week, and so it's like he's the only running back in the country who has multiple pass completions. They both came last week. It, you know, it's not enough for me. I'm gonna agree with you. Nah, Cal. Cal is one of two Pac-12 teams and one of four Power 5 teams with double-digit takeaways. They have 11 takeaways. Fun fact or not? I feel like that was the fact last week. Something like they had like 10 takeaways or something. So, uh, no. Lazy. That's yeah, lazy. I feel like that's lazy. But it is a fun fact. Rig. I will say that they have uh, you know all those, all those turnovers because it's not something you think that they have with the record. But it's a nah because I feel like that's what the stat was last week. I, I wanted to say lazy as well, because I was like, I read that already. Uh, let's go on to Colorado. Colorado is facing top 10 ranked teams in back-to-back weeks for only the third time this century. Happened in 2001, 2022, and now 2023. Fun fact or nah? Nah. I, I wasn't blown away by that fact at all. Uh, I will go with the nah on that one. It just it felt overcooked to me, like the third time this century, and then I realized they're only going back to two thousand one. Yeah, like it's not that. I mean, yeah, it's not that. Twenty three years. It's not that much, and it's happened two years in a row. So no, nah. All right, Oregon, number nine, Oregon. Fun fact: this would be the first five and zero start for Oregon since twenty thirteen. First five and zero start in a decade. Fun fact or not? 
Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go. Yeah, on that one. I was not. I would have expected they had another season or two in there that they uh, started out five and zero. So yeah, I'm gonna go fun fact. Fun fact on that one. Uh, five and zero. That's really only the second time. Interesting. No, first time. First Since time. 2013. Oh, yeah, first yeah. time then. Yeah, I mean, I would. That's definitely fun. Yeah, for sure. It, it to me, this one accomplishes everything a fun fact should. It's it's short. It's literally like five six words. Oregon is seeking the first 5-0 and start since 2013. Boom. It's quick hitting. It's like a little inside run play. It's a quick hitter. And it is. Uh, it, it needs no further explanation. It's not a reach. 5-0 and is interesting to me. And the fact that Oregon in the last decade has never, has not been 5-0 and is remarkable. That is hard. You, it's almost hard yeah. to believe. Yep. It happened because remember they got beat by Georgia last year? Remember Mario Cristobal had a loss, uh, you know, early in the uh, in the season uh, two years, three years ago. So uh, then you go Oregon, back to the Willie Taggart years, yeah. Willie Taggart so, year, and then Helfridge, yeah. Okay, that makes as sense. good as Oregon has been, this would be the first five and zero start in a decade. Uh, Oregon State is next. Oregon State is one of two teams in the Pac-12 holding opponents to less than seventy yards rushing per game. The other, their opponent on Friday night, Utah holding opponents to 51 rushing yards. Fun fact or nah? Uh, I'm going to go with nah. I, I just The Washington State game, I think Cameron Ward just dominated them through the air, so they didn't have to run the football in that game. And then the other three opponents just haven't been very good. So I, I feel like it's more of the competition, and or we haven't really seen if Oregon State can uh, prove to stop the run. So I'm going to go with nah. There needs more uh, context. I'm going to go fun fact. I'm going to disagree with you because this game opened with the over-under total at 47.5. It has been bet down to 44.5, and, and I think this is why. I think both these defenses are very good against the run, and both of the offenses have been less than stellar in the last couple of weeks. And so I think you have a bunch of people looking at the that number and that that the fact that nobody's running the ball, and they like what they see. So I'm going to say fun fact. Stanford is next. Stanford's trying to snap an eight-game losing streak against ranked teams. Fun fact or not? Nah, I, I they just Stanford. That's kind of a boring fact. I feel like it's just kind of you know, hey, we're gonna throw this out there. I'm gonna nah. It just tells me they're bad. They're yeah. playing ranked teams and they're losing. That's not impressive to me. That's just, Stanford's been bad. Should have been the fact. It's not not shocking. Yeah. Yeah. USC. USC forces their opponents into negative plays or turnovers. On 17% of defensive snaps, that's third best in the country. Fun fact or not? That is a fun fact to me. Wow, that's uh, surprising to me because we think about the USA defense not being very good, and it's kind of the same thing as it was last year. You know, They make big plays, but they give up big plays. I don't think that you know lends to winning big-time ball games, you know, getting to the college football playoff. I think somewhere that might uh, you know trip them up. So, yeah, I'm going to go with fun fact on that. I-, I was fun on that one until I looked at the other two teams because they're third nationally. They're behind James Madison and Kansas. Both undefeated teams, though, John. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. All right, Utah. Fun fact or not, Utah has held two opponents under 15 total yards this season. Two opponents have failed to get to 15 yards in the game. I'm going to go with fun on that one, man. 15 yards, like, that is uh, that is very impressive. I'll go fun fact on that one. That's a fun fact, if true. Uh, <laughs> Washington. Washington, finally. Against Cal last week, Washington became the third team to score two touchdowns this season. No, excuse me. Let me let me back up. I misread that. Okay, against Cal last weekend, Washington became the third team ever.
to get two touchdowns before they ran an offensive play. Fun fact or not? Nah? That is a fun fact uh, because you know, watching that game, I had Washington minus the points, but that game should have been closer than what the final score indicated. Cal had over 500 yards. I'll keep going back to that. I'm a little worried about Washington's defense. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go fun fact on that one. Fun fact. Uh, good stuff there. By the way, I'm going to go back to the Utah stat. I don't think it was 15 total yards. I think it was 15 rushing yards. I think Greg didn't put rushing in there. 15 total UCLA, rushing yards, yeah. Yeah, UCLA rushed for nine yards last week. So I think I'm going to say nah on Greg. Over under on, 15 rushing yards for Oregon State on Friday. Oh, over. That's got to be come over. On. but Come on. It's tough, man. They got 15 on the first drive. Come on. All right, leave it here. The 5 at 5 is coming up. Steven's got it. We'll have the five best stories next. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, you could argue that the Scoot Henderson era of Blazers basketball officially began on draft day, or you could argue that it began yesterday with Damian Lillard's trade. I mean, isn't it true that you need one star player out of the way and a vacuum to be there for another star player to fully bloom? We saw that with Lillard as he came in and kind of nudged LaMarcus Aldridge to the side. Are we just watching a rite of passage in Portland, one star to the next. How good can Scoot be? It will be all over that. Yeah, yeah, what do you think? Oh, my opinion, the Scoot could be uh, all-star level player, like best player on a championship team. I think that's his. Uh, that's the ultimate ceiling for that guy. He, he's well, got it all. If he's that guy, if he's him, as the kids say. <laughs> is Damian Lillard wrong in that he'll never be replaced? Yes, he would be wrong in that situation. I remember I tweeted on draft night, Scoot. <laughs> Had a double meaning. We got the 5 at 5. We're going to lead you right into Thursday night football. What do you think of Thursday night football tonight? Detroit, Green Bay. That's a Thanksgiving game. We'll get into it in the 5 at 5, John. Oh, I like that. Let's do it. The 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. The number one story. Go, Steven. Well, we're not going to start with the Packers Lions. We're going to start with the Damian Lillard saga. First of all, the Milwaukee Bucks are the new betting favorites to win the NBA championship after the trade. They moved up to plus 375 ahead of the Denver Nuggets who are at plus 425. The Celtics plus 500 and the Suns at 550. No other teams are in single digit odds to win the championship at Caesars. And now an article literally just released like five minutes ago by Chris Haynes detailing what happened between Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers throughout this trade process. A couple notes from it that I thought were very interesting. Uh, Damian Lillard got the sense that he wasn't going to be traded to the Miami Heat based off of what Joe Corner was saying. He said if that's the case, he would like to rescind his trade request and the Blazers said no, there's no going back. So he said he wanted to come back to Portland. Joe Corner said no, there's no coming back from it. Uh, he also said that he was told to sit out the final 10 games of last season to help the franchise wow. improve the lottery odds. And also, uh, they were, of course, uh, Aaron Goodwin and Damian Lillard were not happy with how Joe Cronin went about the trade, not talking to Miami Miami since July in Summer League. So there's a lot of juicy things. I'm still kind of going through this, but uh, you know, told him to sit out with the calf injury. 
Dame said he wanted to come back if he couldn't be traded to Miami. Joe Cronin said no. I think this is going to get a little messy, John, before it gets clean. Yeah, it's going to get messy, but I'm left thinking about... We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. I think sometimes you can rehash and rehash and rehash stuff. Isn't the simpler thing that it just didn't work out? Apologies to Willie Taggart. It didn't work out with Willie Taggart. It didn't, you know, the Lillard era was fine. They got to a Western Conference final. This last year, it's been messy. It's been messy. I, I think it's pretty obvious that Joe Cronin wanted to move on from Dame. Like, whether he requested a trade or not, I think he wanted to trade Damian Lillard from the time he got the job, and I think that's just kind of coming out right now. And I think you probably are looking at a general manager who has said, you know, I want to do my own thing. I want to draft my own players. I want to craft my own roster. In the same way that Neil Olshay drafted Damian Lillard, or got credit for it at least, and, you know, fashioned himself as the draft guy in Portland, Joe Cronin's wanting to do his own thing. I, I guess I'm interested in kind of the theater of it a little bit, but, you know, I don't want to get caught up in it. The Blazers got to keep moving forward. Fran base has to keep moving forward. Number two. Number two, the XFL and the USFL, John, they're still around, and they are planning to merge at the start of next spring. What? And they plan to be the top spring football professionally, of course. Now, the XFL, they are owned by The Rock and his ex-wife, Danny Garcia, while the USFL is under the ownership of the Fox Corporation. Despite entering bankruptcy last year under Vince McMahon, the XFL, they played a full season under that ownership. The XFL has eight teams. USFL has eight teams, but they plan to merge to form one big spring league. John, are you now going to be in for uh, spring football? Here's what the XFL sounded like under Vince McMahon. Ladies and gentlemen, Vince McMahon. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining today's press conference. The new XFL will kick off in 2020, and quite frankly, we're going to give the game of football back to fans. Giving it back to fans. Here we are three years later. We're really giving it back to fans. Wake me up when you've got the best players playing. I think it's cool to have something on television in the spring when regular football's not there. But, yeah, you know, they're really just moving the football calendar, saying, hey, there's no competition from college football. There's no competition from the NFL. For the degenerates out there who just have to have football year-round and have nothing else to do, we'll put this on. Uh, it doesn't work for me. It hasn't. I think the best I saw from this was when the USFL back in the day had Herschel Walker, had Steve Young, had Anthony Carter with the Oakland Invaders. They had some good players, and they, they were paying them. But the XFL right now and USFL has just positioned itself as, you know, kind of a minor, minor league. It's, do, you, do you think if they you know, throw money at it, kind of like Liv Golf did, and they got some of the stars to come over and somehow play with them, would that change anybody's yeah, mind? Sure, yeah. If you get some of the better players in the NFL – to say, I'm going to go play in the XFL, I actually would rubberneck and, and go watch that. And, you know, and that's, I think that's what the USFL tried to do originally. The New Jersey Generals, the Oakland Invaders, and the Birmingham Stallions. And, you know, I know way too much about that because I was like 14, 15 years old and this thing was, was a big deal. But they had real players. They were getting like the best players and some interesting players like Doug Flutie, who everybody wanted to see play. But I don't, I just don't think they can attract that caliber of player anymore. And so I think the best thing that they can do is put it on the spring and hope that they create some kind of minor league system where maybe some players that, you know, are looking to hang on and maybe make a training camp in another year can uh, stick around a little bit. Number three. Well, we all saw what happened to Travis Hunter against Colorado State when he suffered a lacerated liver on that late hit by Henry Blackburn of Colorado State, who was then flagged for the unsportsmanlike conduct. Of course, afterwards, 
The aftermath was Blackburn and his family received threats, including death threats, after the game, during the game, as a result of his campus address, home address, and phone number being published online. But the two of them, Travis Hunter and Henry Blackburn, they met last night, John, and they went bowling together. As Travis Hunter says, it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's just football. They went out bowling. They uh, The peace has been made between Colorado and Colorado State. Uh, just kind of fun to see that, uh, you know, Travis Hunter, again, he's a guy that loves football. And so I think he's just kind of proven, like, you know what? This was a, It was a late hit, but that's what all it was. I like Travis Hunter. We had him on our show on Media Day from Vegas. We talked mostly about fishing. A great kid. Uh, I think he's got a great career in front of him. This is a great move by Colorado to kind of put its arm around Blackburn, who I think, you know, he made a dumb play. It was a late hit. It was blatant. It was a stupid play. He may have been caught up in the moment in the game, but I think, that, you know, this is a uh, a nice gesture by Colorado and Travis Hunter to try to go, hey, this isn't that big a deal. We're all we're all in this together in the end. Hunter Hunter gets it, man. That guy, that's a kid that gets it, and he's gonna have a great career, like you said. Number four, Will Chamberlain, his nineteen seventy two NBA Finals jersey, which he wore in Game Two and the clinching Game Five, just sold at auction for four point nine million dollars, which is a record Woo. for any Will Chamberlain memorabilia. He was named Finals of that MVP, which is his only Finals MVP. $4.9 million is the third most expensive NBA jersey ever sold at auction, trailing Kobe Bryant, a $5.8 million jersey from his lone MVP season, and the $10.1 million last dance Michael Jordan jersey. John, what would you spend $4.9 million on if you had to buy uh, some sports memorabilia? I'm not buying a jersey. I, I thought you were going to say that Wilt had auctioned off his silk robe. Mm. You know That probably <laughs> fetches a good penny there. <laughs> I don't know if anybody would want to touch it. Um, look, you got to uh, behind the plastic there, you know, the, the case. It's interesting to see athletes from his generation kind of cashing in. I saw a Jim Brown jersey that was used in, like, the 1950s that sold for, like, a quarter of a million dollars. And, you know, obviously uh, you're seeing some investors who had traditionally invested in real estate and stocks. Now that you can get sports memorabilia authenticated beyond a reasonable doubt, you have – the ability for some of these um, firms to come together, pool together money, and invest money in buying a Honus Wagner card that is graded by PSA or uh, buying a jersey that has been, you know, authenticated. And so I think the what we're really talking about is there's been advances in authentication, and inflation has caused some investors to say, hey, it's better to own an asset right now than to have the cash sitting in the bank eroding. So I think that we're seeing that combination. We saw this with sports cards. We're seeing it in memorabilia. I think you saw it in real estate as well. Finally, is that it? No, we got number five here. One more. Thursday night football, Lions taking on the Packers. Lions, two-and-a-half-point road favorites at Lambeau Field. We're going to have the coverage right here, of course, in Portland on 750 the game. But, John, both teams two-and-one fighting out in the NFC North. Who you got in this one? The Lions, two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road? <laughs> Who do you, I don't know. Uh, I'll take the, the Lions. Give me the I'll home take the dogs. Lions. Home I'll take the Lions. Day. I'll take the Lions. Last time the, uh, these teams met, the Lions knocked the Packers out of the playoffs. So uh, maybe the Packers are going to be thinking about that. But Detroit's better now. They're better on defense. Aiden Hutchinson's great. Brian Branch is playing well. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for Jordan Love to have kind of a, uh, a wake-up moment in the spotlight maybe tonight. So we'll see how he responds. Jordan Love. And the Packers against the Lions. We're back tomorrow from Research Stadium, 3 to 6 p.m. We'll see you then.